0: Thank you, Mark. I got it. I was going to say, please be seated, but you guys were all over that. Way to go. Um, (laughs) Well, good morning. My name is uh, Andrew, and I'm the campus pastor here at the Leewood Campus of Christ Community, and I want to welcome you as well. I know you've heard that several times already, but not from me. I hope you ate a good breakfast today. Uh, because if, I don't know if you picked up on it, but in our story today, we're talking about hunger. And hopefully that was, again, obvious. And when we read, when Mark read from Exodus chapter 16, Israel, we've been following the story of Israel, really kind of through the lens of Moses uh, in the book of Exodus. And Israel now is in the wilderness, but there's no meat. There's no bread. There's no food. And they're starving. Now, most, you know, many of us, we're, we're mostly... Middle-class Americans, and we probably haven't experienced hunger like the Israelites are in this story, but we all know what it's like to skip a meal. <laughs> we've all felt our blood sugar crash. We've all watched a toddler skip a snack and seen the chaos that comes afterwards, right? And we've seen that. Hunger really changes people, doesn't it? I mean, imagine how Sunday mornings would go if we took those donut, donut holes away, Um <laughs> which almost happened today. They, you know, they weren't showing up and I thought this is the perfect Sunday for that to happen. Uh, But they, (laughs) but God provided. um. (laughs) Hunger changes us, that late afternoon drag when you snap at your friend or your spouse and you just realize, I just like haven't eaten enough today, right? We've all done that. We've all felt that. Have you seen those um, Snickers commercials yet where there's, a, right, there's this famous actor pretending to be someone else, and they're all angry and annoyed, and, and then their friend comes along and gives them a Snickers, and they, they take a bite, and they turn back into themselves. And if you, if you remember, the tagline for that commercial is, you're not you when you're hungry. But after reading a text like Exodus 16 uh, and studying it this week, I, I'm not sure that that's true. Hunger does a lot of things, and one of the most profound things that hunger can do is reveal who you really are. Nothing reveals the priorities of the heart like the stomach. (laughs) When our chips are down and our bodies are screaming at us for bread, it is very revealing whatever comes next. And that's why most of us avoid hunger if we can. And the Israelites in our story this morning, they want to avoid it too, but for some reason, God is forcing this situation. Don't miss that. He is withholding bread. He is making them hungry to reveal something about them. God wants Israel to see something and to learn something. He wants us to see it too, and Israel cannot see it, and we cannot see it until we're hungry, until bread is all that we want, until bread is all that we think we need, until it's the only thing we can think about. And that's really where Israel finds herself in the wilderness, in this story, the middle of nowhere, without bread, without food. And Israel desperately wants bread. Desperately wants bread. That's the whole conflict around this story that we've read. And if you haven't turned to Exodus 16, go ahead and do so now. Exodus 16. And while you're turning there, I just want us to think about what these people might be going through right now as we enter the story. They aren't just starving, they've also got to be confused. Let me explain what I mean by that, and I I can't blame them. In the context of the book of Exodus, right, of all the sermons you've heard so far, they really shouldn't be hungry. (laughs) Didn't God just defeat one of the most powerful nations on the planet at the time in Egypt? With ten miraculous and devastating plagues, did He not just part the Red Sea so that Israel could walk across on dry land, and didn't God promise that once the Israelites were out of Egypt, they would go to the promised land flowing with milk and honey, food, the land that God promised to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to Joseph before they were all enslaved in Egypt in the first place? I mean, if God is, have you ever thought this, if God is who He said He is, why in the world are His people wandering in the desert? And don't forget… God is leading Israel, literally, into the wilderness. They didn't take a wrong turn here. This isn't a mistake. God is leading Israel. And every Israelite in this story has this map in their head. I want to show it to you. They have this map in their head. Up here in the top left is Egypt, where they've left. And the top right is Canaan, is the promised land. Where the big red arrow is, is the wilderness of sin, which is where Israel is now. You See how out of the way that is? That's why Israel's confused. And after 45 days in the wilderness, in the desert, wandering around, how would you respond? 45 days of walking for hours and hours with your whole family, kids, grandparents, everyone for 45 days. And every day is as hot as the last day, and you're rationing your water and your food and your kids hate you. Right? You're sick of setting up camp and tearing down camp and setting up camp and tearing down camp every single day. And after 45 days, you run out of bread. It's like a nightmare. And after all you've been through in Egypt, centuries under the sting of the whip, the murder of your children, and the back breaking work every day, it looks like God finally got you out of there, only to starve you to death in the desert. What would you do? I know what I would do. I would look for someone to blame, which is precisely what Israel does. And if you look at verse 2 of chapter 16, they say, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And the people are saying, Moses, you idiot. You tricked us. There's nothing here. At least in Egypt, there was food to eat. It would have been better to die there than to die here. And you hear it, all Israel wants is bread. And I I can't blame them, but man, does that statement reveal a lot about their faith. And that's essentially what Moses will point out back to them in his response in verse 8. He says, who who are we that you grumble against us? Your grumbling is not against us. It's against the Lord himself. You're challenging him. Because we can sympathize with Israel. And we have all said at one point or another to God, just like Israel, God, you've abandoned us. After all that you've done for us, you've abandoned us. We've all said that, but Moses can say back to Israel and to us in that moment, after all he's done for you, how could you possibly doubt that he will provide now? And for Israel to mention Egypt as if they were better caretakers than God is just absurd, right? Sure, we were slaves and they could kill us whenever they wanted, but at least the food was good. What? That's ridiculous. Egypt was literally killing them for hundreds of years, but after only a few days without bread in the desert. Israel has decided it was better to die with full bellies than to even give God a chance to rescue them and deliver on his promise. Who in the world would possibly say that Egypt was better than God? Well, only a slave. They're not in Egypt anymore, but they're still slaves. And the hunger is drawing it out. It's revealing what's inside. And we begin to see here what is a major tension throughout the whole story of Israel and really the whole Bible. It is easy for God to get his people out of slavery. Israel doesn't really do anything to get out of Egypt. God does everything. The plagues, the Red Sea, he defeats the Egyptian army. Done. For God, that's easy. What is hard And what God needs Israel to see in this story, and we need to see it too, is that getting the slavery out of his people is much more difficult. As oppressive and terrible and evil as the Egyptians were, and they really were, a few days without bread is showing Israel that the real enemy is within. The Egyptians have nothing on the slavery of the human heart, the spiritual slavery that drives us away from God at the first sign of trouble to trust in ourselves and to put our own plans to get the bread we think we need to live. The slavery that drives us back to Egypt, the place of death. These are the same Israelites who just a few verses ago, notice in chapter 15, were worshiping God on the other side of the Red Sea. Here's what they say, then Moses and the the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. You see, they're on the, after the Red Sea, they are on top of the spiritual mountain. Yea, God, we love you. We'll follow you anywhere. Eyes are closed. Hands are raised. They love God right up until they run out of bread. And suddenly, they are ready for Egypt again. Israel thinks that she is free when she escapes Egypt, but God is showing them now, no, you are not. You are still living like a slave. There's not enough bread in the world to make you free, because only I can do that. You want bread, but you need me. See, Israel wants bread. They know that. What they don't know is how much they need God. And so God shows them what he can do, and he says to Moses in verse 4, behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So God is saying, I'm going to give you the food, the bread you want to show you what you really need. I'm giving you a portion of daily bread because I am your portion, says God forever. And that's why God says he's testing them. That language is interesting there. He's revealing the truth to them. God's going to provide bread. God always provides, but God doesn't just provide to feed their hunger. He provides to feed their hearts. And God's provision, notice this, in your life and mine, is never just for the stomach. It's always for the heart. God is asking Israel to look to him and no one else for their physical and their spiritual daily bread, their daily sustenance. And so the first thing God does is he provides quail. If you notice in the story, thousands of quail. Verse 13 says the whole camp is covered and quail. And I just want to put ourselves in, in the moment here with Israel for a second. Imagine right in my mind, I imagine the barbecues firing up everywhere among all the people for the first time in months. And grandma starts preparing her special spices, you know, whatever they did back then. I don't know. And the kids, they're, they're standing by the open flame when their eyes are like saucers. They're anticipating this food and there's laughter and there's joy throughout the camp. And you eat to the full and you go to sleep with a full stomach for the first time in months what's God doing here? Let's keep looking. The sun rises, you wake up, you step out of your tent after the dew is gone, it's dry, and suddenly you notice it left what looked like a fine flake-like frost on the ground. That's right, God invented frosted flakes. There they are, manna. (laughs) So, you pick it up, you take a bite, and it's good, and it's sweet. It's a bread you've never tasted before. And you take just enough for the day because that's what Moses told you to do. And you start collecting for your family. And it seems that like no matter how much you ate, there was always enough to satisfy. Now, some people even had leftovers, but later in the story, Moses says that they have to discard the extra every day. There are no doggy bags in the desert. God will provide every morning. You have to trust him. Otherwise, the manna will turn to maggots and it will make your tent stink. That's literally what Moses says. But as you would expect, some don't listen to Moses and all they want is bread. They want to hoard it and keep it. And because they kept some in their tents until the afternoon, the camp starts to stink. And I don't want to get too graphic, but if you've ever driven by roadkill on a hot day, you can get a sense of what that manna smelled like in the middle of the afternoon. It's a lesson you'd only need to learn one time. So you go and you gather bread the next day and you discard the extra. And the day after that, and the day after that, and on the sixth day before the Sabbath, you gather double, enough for Friday and for Saturday. And only on Friday does the manna not spoil overnight. And when the Sabbath rolls around, sure enough, the manna does not appear on the ground outside the tent. And yet again, some people don't listen to Moses. And even though they got a double portion on Friday, they still go out looking for more on Saturday, but they can't find And just like, I want us to note, just like when God brought swarms of locusts to cover the ground in Egypt, He's bringing swarms of quail to cover the wilderness in provision for His people. And just like when God rains down hail on Egypt in judgment, He rains down bread where there is no bread in provision for His people. And every day, without fail, for 40 years, that's where the story will go, God would provide bread every day, every week. And I'm saying all this, God is painting a picture through all of this. He's training his people, he's training them, that he is a God who will be known, the text says, as a God who is the source of life. And even though Israel's faith is never perfect in this story, you get the sense that at some point they stopped wondering if bread would show up the next day. They learned that God was not a slave master like Egypt. They did not have to live in fear. He was a father who would always provide. And if you look at the end of the story in Deuteronomy chapter 8, Moses, this is 40 years after this moment, Uh, in his last sermon to to the people of Israel before they, they finally enter the promised land, he points back to what God is doing here. And he says, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and he let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but, but, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You see, before Israel gets the promised land, they need to know that the salvation is, is not in the land of milk and honey, but in God himself. They need more than just bread. They need the God who always, always, always gives bread. And while so many things have changed throughout history with the people of God, this has not. We so often, I know I do, find ourselves in the same place, wanting the bread instead of the provider, wanting the gift and not the giver. And honestly, in so many of my prayers, this is where I really see this in my own life, in my angst, and my questions to God, my chief aim is anything but getting more of Him in my life. Not more than I want my prayer answered or my problem solved or my pain taken away. I love God until the bread I crave, the bread I think I need, isn't there? And just like Israel, God may be slowing you down in your life right now. There's something that you want, something that you think you need, and he's withholding it. It may not be physical bread, but you crave it like someone starving in the wilderness. What is it? What terrifies you to lose? What keeps you up at night? What's enticing you? What is promising you that your life will be perfect once you have it? Once you get more of it, just a little bit more. What is the bread you think you need in your life right now? And I want us to take one minute and to close our eyes together and think, what is that in your life right now? my hunch is it wasn't that hard to think of. It wasn't for me either. We need the same lesson Israel needed in this story. And so I want us to focus on three things as we apply this story to our lives. Three things, three lessons we can take away and use against the things we found ourselves examining (laughs) this morning. And the first is this. When all you want is bread there's never enough bread. When all you want is bread, there's never enough bread. This is why some of Israel tried to keep their extra manna until the next day, even though it would rot. It's why they still go out looking for bread on the Sabbath day when they were told it would not be there. This is the pattern. The more you want something, whatever that something is, apart from God himself, the more of it you need to be satisfied This is what psychologists call tolerance, and it's in a pattern of addiction. With each consumption, you build up your tolerance such that it takes more and more every time to get the original high, the original satisfaction, until it deadens you completely like a drug. And so often, we just want God to feed our appetites and our addictions and to leave our hearts out of it. We want God's bread, but we do not want God. But God's good goal isn't to just feed your present hunger, but to free you from the addictive cravings of your heart. That's what He's after. And C.S. Lewis, he puts this so well when he says, there's no statement more damning than I have all I need when that all does not include God. Because even when you have all the bread you need, even when you have all the bread you need, that doesn't mean you will have all the bread that you want. There's never enough bread. Apart from God, you will always want more. And when you always want more, there's no rest for you. There's no rest. You'll gather for six days, and against every word of counsel, you will go looking for more on the seventh. You see, only slaves work seven days a week. And just because you aren't wearing chains does not mean your heart is not enslaved to something. So, where are you still going out to gather even though you aren't finding what you need? Is there never enough money in the bank account? Okay, that one stings me a little bit. Is your work never done? You can't help but bring it home even on your day off. Can you even enjoy the bread God sends your way or do you just worry that you're going to run out? Are the good moments in your life robbed of all joy because of worry, because you cannot rest in what God has for you right now in the present? Are you so preoccupied with what might be or not be in the future that you do not remember with God that God is with you even now in your difficult circumstances? You see, this is a restless, unsatisfied life. That's what I'm describing. It's restless. You cannot rest because when all you want is bread. There's never enough bread. And really, I, th- I think that's all of us. If you don't see a little bit of that in your heart, I don't think you're looking hard enough. But the hope is, and the promise of this story is this, when, when all you need is God, there's always bread. When all you need is God, there's always bread. And in any circumstance, in the desert where nothing lives, God can provide there. See, look at verse 18. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. This is a picture of complete satisfaction. Everyone has enough, even in the desert. Nothing else in the world can give you that. Now, I am not saying it will always be comfortable with God and that life is easy with God. It is not. Israel's journey is anything but easy. And we may find ourselves with Israel saying about God's bread, what is this? (laughs) That's what manna means. What is this? It may not look or taste like the bread we thought we wanted, but where God is, there is always bread. And listen, there are lots of places in your life that will promise you bread. Egypt had bread. Israel's not wrong about that. Lots of circumstances will promise you bread. If only I have that new job, that great house, that I, if only I could get a boyfriend or girlfriend, if only I had just a little more bread, then I will be okay. And the truth is, in some cases, we really need bread. We need bread to live. Israel isn't wrong about that either. The problem is that when all we aim for is more bread, we may find ourselves somewhere where God is not. And when the bread runs out, When the bread spoils, there's nowhere to turn. But if we aim for God, if we go where He leads, if we obey where He commands and trust where He seems absent, there is always bread for the next day there. There's enough bread for the day. And the next day, and the next, and the next. And one of the main lessons of the story is that even that the worst of circumstances, the hardest of circumstances with God, is better than the best of circumstances without Him. Because without God, we are all slaves to circumstance. Egypt and places like Egypt, they can give you bread when the conditions are right. They can. But only God can give you bread in any circumstance. And there is a freedom there that only God can provide, you see. God offers a genuine delight to us even when we are deprived of the things that we want. In any circumstance, we can delight in Him. And one of my theology professors at Trinity, he wrapped this up so well. He said, where God's presence is, His provision and His protection are also. Where God is, there's always bread. And one way we can diagnose uh, where we are here this morning is by letting God define what we need. And honestly, this is the hardest part of this whole thing for me. Many of us here, I imagine, are thinking, yes, God provides for me daily. I believe that. I would say that right up until you see what God meant by daily bread. And you're looking at it and you go, well, that's not nearly enough. (laughs) I need more. Or I need something else. (laughs) You see, God set up the system very intentionally in our story. He does not say to Israel, tell me how much you need today, and I'll get it to you. He said, what I give you today is exactly what you need. His promise is not, I'll provide you with what you think you need. It was, I will provide you what I think you need, and you can trust it. Is God defining how much bread you need, or are you... Okay, that's the first diagnostic question. Another diagnostic is, are you resting on the Sabbath? Are you resting? The Sabbath is not a rule to be followed. It is a gift to the truly satisfied person because only a slave, like we said, works seven days a week and only the spiritually free and satisfied can rest one day a week. To trust the emails can go unanswered, The kid's schedule can take a back seat one day a week. It takes an incredible amount of trust to rest in the promise that even if you can't see where the bread for the week will come from, you trust that it is there. That's what the Sabbath is. It's bread for the soul. Are you resting in God's provision? Do you want more bread or more God in your life? Because only one of those things can free you And only one of those things came looking for you. And this is the good news of the story. Even when all we wanted was bread, God made himself bread for us. This is where the story points. There's a tension here in the text that's not really resolved in the life of Moses or even in the history of Israel. Because if we kept following, we would go on to see that after they want more bread, they want more land, and then they want the king, and then they want victory over their enemies and so on and on and on and on. They want all these things more than they want God. And in some ways, that's the story of the Old Testament. But then something changes. Something happened. And God came near to us in the person of Jesus Christ, and He stepped into this starving world. And we looked at Him, and we asked Him for more bread. And here's what He said. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, when God was the last thing we were looking for. When we were hungry and starving and empty and we ran after a bread that did not satisfy, God became food for our souls. He became the nourishment and the salvation that we didn't want but that we needed so desperately because wherever God is, wherever He is, if we follow Him there, there is always bread for you. There's always bread in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we want bread more than You that so often we would rather have full stomachs than full hearts, would rather have comfort than truth, would rather have certainty than faith, would rather have more bread than more of you. So we ask, Father, as you have always promised that you would deliver us from ourselves, deliver us from restlessness and our lack of faith and remind us that the satisfaction we need has already been provided in Jesus Christ, that by looking to him, our fears and our strivings cease. And may we say, even in our darkest hour and in the valley of death, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Amen.